finally did it. We finally made it happen. <laughs> Check how long it's been. Hundred years. Uh, September 2019 is when I had some of the likes for the first try of this, and then I forgot about it for a while. Well, what could have happened between 2019 and 2020 that maybe <laughs> things went awry? I'm trying to rack in my brain here. Yeah. Welcome back to Monging Your Ears. My name is Corey. Helen and April are not with me, but I have two special guests, returning champions. We're here to talk about One Piece. Pax and Grant, welcome again. Thanks oh, for no. having me back on. This this pod has been a long time coming. We've been trying to put this together. It's we we thought let's get back together in three days, but it ended up being almost two Y. You know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I understand that. It's, um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we recorded originally recorded the uh, second or third installment of this One Piece series in September. It is now uh, August, the next Almost August. September. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we over DM, we have been trying to schedule this for several weeks, and just various different things happened that disallowed us from doing that. But we're here now. In 2020, we've been trying to schedule this June. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Well, we made now. it. We made it happen. We're here now. We're going to talk about Impel Down and the Paramount War. But, uh, like, this is the part where, um, one, uh, this is going to be my, this is the part where One Piece stops being the comic I like as much, <laughs> which might have been a thing I said in the last episode, um, about, uh, Sabone. Mm-hmm. But, like, I feel like this is, like, the time skip is, like, the breaking a lot of One Piece. Um, and, like, this really does feel like the climax. It is, like, it is ultimately the climax of the first half, because the other thing, like, I, I, I was like, oh, no, I need to refresh myself on this, because I was gonna re, I was gonna reread it, and then I just didn't, um, uh, because it's just a freaking metric ton of comic, um, and I went and looked it up, and I was like, oh, this was literally ten years ago. This ended at, what we're talking about ended in 2010. Oh, geez. Lord. There have been t- ten years of One Piece since this. There was ten there years were... of One Piece before that, too, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, more than ten years before that. Oh, okay. There is a lot of One Piece. Before. It was like 13 years of that. One Piece can drink in the U.S., is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, all right, so... Well, before we get into the uh, what you don't like about Implegown and Paramount War, uh, Grant, as you read this, whenever you were reading this, uh, what were your first impressions of Implegown? Um, I really liked Impel Down. Um, a prison break scenario is always fun. I always love prison break type stories, um, and I think particularly the way um, we get sort of reintroduced to some of my favorite villains, uh, Buggy D. Clown, who is, of course, uh, my self-insert character, and uh, Crocodile, who is still basically my favorite villain in the show or series. So uh, having them together again was really great. The, the, the entire sort of idea of, of Iva's like hidden like space just for them inside the fortress, and then like the, the, the fortress itself impel down is this really, 
really difficult prison. You know, there, of course, it's like a you know, maximum security prison in a world, all that kind of stuff. But like the whole setup with the military can literally control the the tides outside the you know the fortress and all that. It's just it's such a great setup. Um, so I really really responded well to it. I and it felt very One Piece. You know, just to have uh, Luffy get in a place and be like, well, guess I'm gonna commit a couple felonies here and break out of the biggest prison ever <laughs> breaking into the prison friends. first yeah, yeah don't get right, me wrong breaking, in, breaking out all of it you know like it's just it's really terrific i think talk about them don't get me wrong i like uh impel down a lot uh for really every reason he grant just said it's really fun it has a really good uh cast of weirdos the first time you really get to spend time with jinbei uh, Jinbei gets introduced here. God, yeah, uh, so good. <laughs> yeah, like you said, Crocodile like is is easily one of the best villains this has ever had. Um, uh, Mister Three is back a bunch. Yeah, I, and I like him a lot too. He's just really uh, obnoxious and stupid. <laughs> um, and yeah, Buggy is everybody's favorite character. So like, there there are a lot of characters to really love in this arc. Um, like. So it is genuinely fun. Like ultimately, like my my issue with Impel Impel Down is more that the rest of the crew mm. isn't there, whereas the rest of it is like actually super fun and good. Yeah, yeah and I think it does a good job with uh without the crew. Uh, in Amazon Lily, I can introduce all these new characters, and you don't really know any but any of them. But in Impel Down, you get reintroduced to all these characters, and like you you don't feel as overwhelmed by having uh what would be like seven new characters in Impel Down if we were meeting Crocodile, Mr. Three, Bonclave, uh, all for the first time, but mm-hmm. um, just having the, the warden and the, I forget what he's called, like the vice warden or whatever, having them be like these villain characters um, and not really uh, necessarily needing to go as in-depth with them and then like, meeting Jinbei knowing that you're going to have him be on there for quite a while afterward. Uh, as well as uh, Iva, who becomes a much more important character as as this arc goes on. But it, it feels like it played, uh, or it raised the stakes and it raised the scope without really feeling overwhelming. I think another thing uh, to add on, I mean, knowing, of course, now that the time skip happens after the events that this all sets off, you do sort of get the, this is both the greatest hits, right? Like Buggy and Crocodile being probably two of the big standout villains. Um, you get kind of a greatest hits thing here. You know, Luffy putting this team together right before sort of the world as we know it just gets completely broken wide open. And then on top of that, um, it still has a ton of great world building. Like everything, of course, Oda's like, hmm, I could introduce a few named characters or I could introduce 47. I think I'll do that. So he still introduces like, you know, we know so so much like the prison staff and these, you know, all this stuff. And we just went through. Amazon Lily, like you said, which has dozens and dozens of characters and all this setup, and it's just like he just never stops. And but it all works really well here because that that it's got such a strong hook. Get in, you know, it, it's the job, the heist. Get in, get out, you know. And it, so I, I think that's what helps that really strong through line of knowing exactly what you're there to do, like for the characters and everything, is really really important to help making it feel just such a strong arc. I guess it's got a like clear here 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 goals and or here's mm-hmm. Luffy's goal. You know what he's trying to do the entire time. Mm-hmm. You also know that he's failed by the time he's gotten there, if right. I recall correctly, right? Yeah. Like you know he's already failed. Right. Uh, and I think that's an interesting kind of twist on it too. 
It's like he's desperately trying to rescue uh, Ace uh, from literally he breaks into the highest maximum super security prison to rescue his brother who's already uh, not there and kind of screwed from uh, Jump Street because of it. Mm -hmm. And like that sucks a lot (laughs) um, for him. And like so it's got this weird tension to it. It's like, well, this is a failed mission and now it's you broke into a prison that you now have to figure out how to get back out of. Right. Yeah. So, so he has to do both parts at the same, like more or less back to back. He has to break in and then he has to break back out. But yeah. he gets caught. He gets caught and then like stuck deep in the prison, right? Or is it that he he works his whole way down and then he has to get his whole way back out? I don't remember it's, exactly how he ends up really fall, really ma- in like the maximum maximum. Um, I'm pretty sure that he. Hold on, now I gotta remember. I think he ends up sort of accidentally getting that far in, and then work you know has to work his way. I think he gets to a place where um, he basically like, well, the only way to get out is to get a little further in, and has to has to you know find his way because I think that's what Iva offers him basically is hey, here's your here's your chance out of here basically. Yeah. Right. yeah, I believe that is correct. And there there's five levels I think to the prison, and then like a secret sixth level, which is where Ace and Jinbei were being held. But then there's a mm-hmm. A different secret 4.5 level, which is where Iva and all of uh, their uh, crew are, um, and they they are uh, imprisoned, but they're not imprisoned in the uh, traditional sense. They're kind of having a party on this 4.5 level and mm-hmm. living their life, just not being able to go anywhere else. It's like real life right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I, there are very strong 2020 vibes with that. Just the <laughs> general feel of like, well. We're already all in super hell that we can't escape. We might as well make a secret place for me and all my weirdos whom I love, and let's just hang out here until it all crashes down, right? Like that's yeah. definitely that's a really that's also if you're going to introduce a you know a cool area and people like that is definitely the way to do it. It's like yeah, no, I, it, it, even as as sort of interesting as you know, they're such an over the top cast like they're very relatable because they're just like man, we're doing our best. <laughs> Just doing her best. Yeah, there, I also like how uh, Oda reintroduces. Bon, uh, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people, but Bon Clay especially, who we, um, I think back in Alabasta, I just assumed anyone that, uh, or I foolishly assumed that any, that anyone that seemed dead was probably dead, which was immediately untrue in Alabasta with Pell. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I assumed that with Bonclay as well, and then he comes back in this one, in this arc, and it, it just feels so good because those two together are so silly and so fun um, mm-hmm. that it just brings it brings the an energy to this arc and to the rest of it that uh, I think it really needed given uh, the other things that happen later. Yeah, given how heavy the the second half of this story is. Yeah. Um, but. I- yeah, Oda's always been really good about, like, knowing when to put, like, a stamp on something and knowing when to bring something back. Like, he, he, like, he, even to this point, he's always, like, even, like, to where the comic is now, it's like he's always got, had a great memory for what's going, for what's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. And, like, Buggy as a character has never gone away, right? Like, <laughs> he's always, he, he's one of the first villains in the comic. Um,. And he is, he doesn't, like, he's never really left for t- 
too long. You know he's always out there, and there's always some dumb story with him because he's honestly one of the like most charismatic like villains in the show. Mm-hmm. He's in, in or series, and in a lot of times not really a villain at all. Um, more like whatever he is in this. Uh, and I believe it's called frenemy. For yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. He's a frenemy. In this arc, he's a frenemy for sure, right? Like, um, and Crocodile, you knew was still out there. You knew he was arrested, and having him come back and kind of also be like, uh, like almost like a frenemy type character for mm-hmm. like a hot minute. Like he helps Luffy with like the escape because he wants to escape himself. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, there's definitely a sense like it could be like, hey, this is that kid that screwed up all my plans. I could try to attack him right now, but he's kind of like. You know, you win some, you lose some. Like they're not really friends, but he does. It just seems like kind of water under the bridge. Like yeah. it, it's more that crocodile, crocodile. Like the thing that makes him an interesting villain is he's just not. He's not just like evil guy. He's like you know, um, he has very well thought out like machinations. He's up to something. He's always got some kind of plan or scheme. So he's like that's what makes him an interest is that he's more than just like evil guy. So it's like, yeah, why would he um, kill Luffy when instead he can use Luffy as a tool to help get himself out? Mm-hmm. He does that instead, like a smart villain would do. Yeah, and by the end of this, uh, the, the Paramount War arc, we see that Crocodile has done exactly that. He's used Luffy, he did some fighting, but ultimately he uh, runs away relatively unscathed. Yeah, he escaped. He lives to fight another day. Yeah, along with uh, Mr. One, Dust Bones, or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sword Man. Yeah. What was his power, actually? It wasn't sword, it was... Uh, he could, like, make his body super hard. Yeah, right? like, into but, like, blades. And, like, blades, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think another thing that's really important thematically for this, and it really sets up where the series is going, you know, because uh, for me, I agree, Crocodile's thing is his machinations, but, like, his, his aura and, like, his energy is definitely, like career mafia career yakuza type guy like to him getting arrested and put in the worst prison ever is just part of the game right like everybody does a stint in prison every now and then because that's what happens when you're a criminal mastermind boss guy and but at the end of the day luffy doesn't unlike before where you know luffy getting chased by the marines and so forth was just sort of an incidental thing you know he's causing trouble and they're here to stop trouble but then it's whatever he doesn't like directly go at them quite as heavy but here it's like no we're breaking every rule and i'm definitely working with criminals to keep breaking rules like he he is allied with these criminal elements and very overtly going against the world government which is basically you know that that's him this is sort of final form at at that point right like this is this is how it has to go there's no version of of luffy doing what he wants to do and protecting who he wants to protect without him like directly and obviously challenging the world government and the military and all that stuff I mean, at the end of the day, he's a pirate. Exactly. Yeah. But it's right. not just, oh, you know, it's not It's not even quite like a Zenigata and, and Lupin thing where it's like, ah, this is our game. We chase each other, you know, reset the board next week. Like, it's, he's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going right into all your, your, your precious spaces, your, your biggest forts. I'm breaking them wide open because that's my brother and I have to. Like, there's no, he's not here to play any game other than his own. Yeah. And I will say, this is, since we know, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, if if anyone's not read past this, uh, don't listen for the next few seconds, I guess. But, uh, you know, hockey gets introduced after Impel Down and Marineford. um, And the whole 
I think particularly Mr. Three's reintroduction into this and the the role he plays because we're talking about reintroduction of old characters. I know this is a little more paramount, but the role he plays in shutting down some things that happen and the use of his power set specifically is really interesting and cool and unique. And like, it's fun to see a character who was kind of a jobber before come back and still be super useful in a way that reminds me of like how um, maybe sometimes it goes with JoJo's where you're trying to like the, you know, the characters are trying to really outthink powers. It's not just, ah, well you have hockey, so you're just better full stop or whatever. Like it's not quite that power level creep just yet. We haven't hit that. Yeah, that that's later. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, after this point, which is why it frustrates me. Right, and I, <laughs> and I get that frustration. I mean, I'm not. I don't think hockey is quite as bad as say, you know, some of Dragon Ball's worst ills. Yeah, but it's not. There as definitely as is like a. There is like a. Yeah, it's not just like, well, I'm Super Saiyan two now. LOL, bye. Like it is a definite, definite like delineation of power though. Like there is, there are people who have hockey, and then there's everyone else. You know, so and you can't avoid that. And this is still before a lot of that sets in. So seeing what is essentially going to be the biggest battle of all time, and then still having guys like Mister Three and like you know Buggy, who is like our you know, like you said our maybe our second or third villain really, um, still be important and still be critical and doing things is really really great to see. Yeah. Um, you know, unlike say again for comparison, how Dragon Ball treated has treated like say Frieza, where he just kind of feels well, I don't know, maybe in Super it's gotten better, but you know he's just kind of he becomes a joke, like it's oh this was the big guy and now couple episodes later like you know you could goku could cough too hard and kill him and it's kind of like <laughs> this is yeah not quite it really removes a lot of that power that he seemed to have and makes you know you kind of makes you like ah, eh, now it lessens my appreciation of those times that i spent watching that stuff so yeah, yeah. i do like how they uh um the warden i forget i forget what the warden's name was but he has like those poison powers so he is basically Magellan? is it magell am i magellan that sounds right that sounds right. Yeah, Magellan. Um, Magellan. He definitely he's he's diarrhea mc, mc gross acid poop man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do like his power and like how even by the end of the arc, only Mister Three can stop him, and that's just because he makes big enough wax walls that can just be uh or that can just stop the acid completely. Um, and I wonder like what the genesis of Magellan's character and his power was. Like, did he? Yeah, was Oda thinking about Mr. Three and was like, oh, what kind of weirdo villain could I make that only Mr. Three could stop? Or <laughs> what, did he create Magellan? And he's like, oh, maybe this guy's a little too powerful. I should bring in someone to uh, stop him somehow. I'd be curious to know. I'm sure I know the genesis of Magellan's character, which is Oda being like, <laughs> because that's, that's each Oda. He's perpetually 12 years old, for better and for worse. <laughs> And I don't yeah. blame him, because it is a funny giving of diarrhea. <laughs> he's like Super Satan, who runs the biggest prison ever, and everyone's terrified of him, and he's just like, oh, God. <laughs> I don't know, it works for me. I am also Maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have had that second bowl of poison. Huh. Yeah. What is the... And then there's the Vice Warden, who's just kind of a, a weirdo demon dude, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's like a... He looks kind of like a... Um, Sphinx isn't quite the right term. Um... But he's like a monster. Yeah, he's like a monster guy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The whole like all of Impel Down and the way it functions and what is happening inside of it and everything is kind of psychotic. Oh, absolutely. It's it's, it's great. Mad. It's like yes, this is totally what the ultimate maximum security prison in a world where people can turn into poison or rubber right. or <laughs> electricity <laughs> or whatever the hell. This is what the prison would have to make, right? Right. It would have to be this insane, like, 
monster factory, I guess. <laughs> and there's definitely a sense that it is supposed to be, you know, figurative and literal hell. Like, this is the place where the demons are. This is the place where, you know, it, it's just completely over the top. Um, yeah, there's multiple levels to it. Right, it's descending further and further, and it gets worse and worse. It's very, you It's know, not subtle. Yeah. No, no, it is not. Um, it even gets, I, like, I hotter, literally. It, oh, yeah. What? It gets literally gets hotter as you Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so dumb. <laughs> it's really Love fun. It. It's great. <laughs> they, honestly, in a lot of ways, I like Impel Down more than the actual Summit War. Uh, or the... That's what is that what it's yeah that's what the next part is called like Paranormal I like war slash um, summit war slash summit white war, war slash, slash yeah he has a lot of Greenford names. it's got a couple yeah. names I mean it's the biggest thing ever so it's got yeah. a couple of names <laughs> I like summit war so I'm gonna keep saying that um, um say that's I will um fun. good but like a lot of like like impel down is like very one piece it's very like weird weird adventure weird places weird people weird place everything's absurd and stupid um it's really funny even though it's about you know like trying to rescue luffy's brother from being executed it's still a really funny story and then like so like i like there's a part of me that genuinely loves it like or really likes it a lot more than what comes after it um, even though, like, the Summit War itself, like, the actual conflict after they get out of Impel Down is, like, it is very much like One Piece is, like, epic. With every every big bat, every big hero, suddenly everyone is all around each other and they're all fighting each other and it's crazy and mm-hmm. it's like, whoa, explosions in your brain and stuff like that. And it's, and it's really cool. Um, but it's also, like, it goes really hard that entire time. Mm-hmm for however long that chunk of it is. It's like it's really serious for a pretty heavy chunk of it. Uh which is probably like a deliberate like pacing option choice that he made of like we're going to have fun and then it's going to get super serious again. Mm-hmm. And he's usually but, done that. Like he usually balances two things really right, well. Right. Right. It's usually like an adventure D&D type arc and then like okay, it's time to get serious again mm-hmm. right. and uh, like, eat I our mean, vegetables. <laughs> like Water 7 is followed up with Thriller Bark. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. You come right off of one into the other. And it's like that's what you need a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And, and preceded by Skypea and Enru is extremely comical. Yeah. Sucks, but uh, is it it is funny sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he sucks. Like I I've come around a little bit on uh, Skypea. It's still not the best, but I've come around on it a little bit. Uh, and it still sucks though. <laughs> He's not my favorite villain. He's very much a Dragon Ball villain. I know I keep bringing up Dragon Ball. I don't mean to, but he's very much just like, ah, oh, I'm a powerful god guy. Like, okay, that's fine. I mean, like he, like Enel is the perfect example of like you mentioned um, bringing in Mister Three to deal with the uh, the Poison Man. Like Enel is the perfect example of that trope of him doing that, of him right. thinking about each power mm-hmm. and how they interact with each other because it's the it's the Electricity Man versus the Rubber Man. Right. Yeah. It's like it's like it is like he does that a lot and he comes up with creative ways for different powers to, you know, clash with each other and what that means. And that comes up a lot in the Summit War too, um which we can get to uh sh- when I stop rambling. <laughs> but uh like 
that is always like when he comes up with these creative villains, figuring out ways for these different powers to deal with each other. That's not just going Super Saiyan is always really cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things that One Piece does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I guess the other thing too is like the um, specifically for Impel Down, uh, everything that happens with uh, Bon Clay when Luffy is in, you know, he's he's we're going full Lazarus here. And Luffy has to get kind of brought back to life. Everything Bond Clay's doing when he's like outside the outside the door, like cheering for him and stuff, man, it's hard. And it it just I don't know, like, and especially because you're just like, not that Bond Clay's not an, an incredible character from the get go, but like you don't necessarily know that it's gonna be Bond Clay. Like, like for example, I think about like Crocodile. Like when, when Crocodile comes back, you know, he's a uh, cool boss villain guy his whole thing is just being really cool and he looks like a super important guy like the whole time like you're just like this just looks like a cool villain who and he comes back you're like yeah of course crocodile's coming back like cool villain guy like obviously it's not too much of a surprise but with von clay for him to for them to come back and to have such an important role and such an emotional moment that seems like i mean i don't know for, for von clay to be the one that's there kind of bringing Luffy back to life in the bottom of hell. Like, you just don't necessarily, when you first meet Von Clay, you don't think, this guy's definitely doing that. Like, that, Or, you know, this, that's definitely what's going to happen here. It's, it really comes out of left field, and yet it's still such a powerful moment. So, I don't know. It's really, it, that that's that that moment sticks with me a lot, particularly. I mean, it definitely, like, they, they elevated, or Oda elevated Von Clay as a character. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, there's, like, pieces of it at the by the end of like um alabasta where he's you you get the feeling he's not as much of a like villain as everyone else that was working for crocodile sure. is right mm-hmm. like and so like there's something there to bond clay as a character uh it's a little weirder and different but it's then like oh no wait people like this character i need to make them more than that which is what I feel like is what kind of ha- what you end up with Bond play is like oh wait no I can I can do more with this character actually right. and he, uh, boy does Oda do it man yeah. wow that whole scene is just incredible and yeah so I I really really like Impel Down it's one of my favorite I mean it, to me you know like we, and we've talked about Water Seven and Annie's Lobby you know are they separate arcs are they the same it's impossible not to think of them together you know because the chase leads into the next it's the same here. Um, but Impel Down is strong enough that you... When I think of Water 7, I immediately think of Any's Lobby, because I do like Water 7 a lot, but with with Impel Down, it's just so different, and it's so strong in and of itself. I don't have to do that, I guess, to appreciate it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I think I mean, it does. Like, it, it's so different, like this this heist thing. There, you know, Whereas Water 7 is just another island to some degree, and Any's Lobby is the real payoff, but... Um, Right, it, that's all one story where like these are two distinct parts of a big story. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. Like like they all like it. They are in their tonally very, as you said. Like they mm-hmm. they they feel very. One is a one of them is um uh die hard slash reverse die hard I guess like break in and then break <laughs> like break break out or break in and then break back out. Um and then the other one is big big everybody fights thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They feel very different. And again, like I mentioned, like one is fun and one of them is pretty serious. Yep. Um, but yeah. shall we? Shall we get to the Paramount War proper, or the Summit War, or the 
uh, everybody punches each other in the face war. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit more about um, Ivankov. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Because we didn't Eva, we didn't talk about them enough. And one, he saves Luffy's life. Um, two, the incredibly uh, goofy, ridiculous character. Very fun. Very uh, uh, significant. Um, ends up being more significant than you realize. Um, but then also like. I, I don't know. I don't follow. Like, is are the Okama types in One Piece considered like problematic at all? Is that like a thing that frustrates people? I feel like it is, but I'm not really up on that discourse with One Piece. Um, I think uh, I, I'm speaking 100 yeah. percent just off of I'm what I know anecdotally as a cishet white guy. Like, I, I got nothing. But from what I gather. Of the, I don't want to say the pair, they're not a match set, but like Bon Clay is typically, they are viewed much more favorably. Um, Ivankov is also viewed very favorably, but is much more in the camp of like, this is a bit of a problematic fave. Like, we all know, like, Iva's great, but maybe the depiction here is not as, uh, there's a little more you have to kind of like grit your teeth through. But I think both are generally viewed quite positively. Overall, I don't think there's a lot of ill will from what I can tell. Again, I don't, I don't know. Ziva's powers are also very uh, strange. Yeah, right. Since like the hormone fruit. Yeah. yeah. So you know, anytime you have something where like the potential for I can change someone else's gender or hormone makeup, like already you're like this needs to be handled with care. And Oda's like, I'm telling a story about a rubber punch monkey. And you're like, well, (laughs) this story's not going to be handled with the most subtlety. You know, it's going to, especially because like any other character in one piece, Iva is sometimes played for laughs and is very, very over the top and all that kind of stuff, you know? So it's, it's tough. It's definitely an interesting situation. Yeah. I mean, one of the first things when we see, Ivankov is, uh, I believe they are changing the gender of this burly, manly, uh, I think he's a prince dude or something, to uh, from male to female, and uh, the former man just kind of runs away embarrassed because they their pants now don't fit and the, everything's falling off, and like there are pro- there are very obviously problematic things about Ivankov's character and the, some of the things that they do and the depiction thereof, but... Um, yeah, I would leave that to someone more knowledgeable than me to uh, really delve into that. It, it seems but, flippant sometimes. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a thing where it's like, okay, a 12-year-old would probably think this is funny, and that Oda, again, being perpetually 12, it's like, he, you know, he, he's, he's writing, whether he truly thinks it's funny or this is what he thinks his audience will think is funny, it's definitely not great at times, so... Yeah. But there are a lot of a lot of smarter people who also this is more within their wheelhouse yeah. and expertise have talked about it at length. Again, Iva seems to be a character who is complicated. It, it's complicated, not JPEG. Yeah. <laughs> but Iva is still a very fun character. Um, one, one, I. Wait. She looks like, or he, oh shit. Uh, one, he looks like um, Tim Curry in Rocky Horror. <laughs> yes. Um, two, um, he, again, as you mentioned, he runs like the secret, like, pirate, like, lair within the prison. 
three is like a a high ranking member of the um revolutionary army is that what they're called mm, yep, yeah correct yeah, yeah. dragon's revolutionary army yeah, yeah. luffy's dag's revolutionary army yeah it's like oh this character is actually really important um just kind of shows up in the weirdest place and like it's sowing seeds for what's coming next like everything else does mm-hmm. in one piece constantly mm-hmm. Now I will allow you to talk about the summer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is important because Iva is a very beloved and important character. So, um, yeah. But it is hard to talk about Iva because they are, you know, it, it, whether they are, you know, quote unquote, good rep or bad. You know, it's it's never that simple. But it's particularly difficult with Iva because they are so great and so much fun. But also, there's some baggage there. So it's, yeah, and I, I do like Iva's. Uh, uh, outside of the context of any problematic nature, I do like uh, Iva's character uh, generally, mm-hmm. and the the subtle way that um, that they deepen the lore by saying that they are Iva is part of a uh, the revolutionary army is absolutely yeah very good. Um, Iva Iva literally has a pocket world they've built, but at the same time also builds the wider world. We hear connections, you know, of course later on with uh, Iva saying they know Crocodile's secret, which for a number of people. That is a lot of people uh, posit or believe, or I mean, be, because the, related to Iva's powers and the ability to change gender, that could be that Crocodile is a trans mask person. So, like, that's again, there's a lot of rep stuff there that people are. It's really Iva's a really important character to talk about mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons and continues to be and always will be. And I think that's some, but overall, because Iva is a positive character, I, I think most people are pretty positive on Iva yeah. in the, on that. On the other hand, Iva can also uh, make their head really, really large and wink people uh, <laughs> out of existence. I don't know. Oh, right. <laughs> to me, that is like the same as like Boa Hancock doing the like lean my head back so far to laugh at you that I like am bending over backwards, which I just think is the most. To me, that's amazing. That is just the most hilarious <laughs> thing. I think it's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, those, those are the kinds of moments of comedy and levity that you get. Um, including Hancock reappearing in the Paramount War, that uh, really breaks up uh, stuff that needs to be broken up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so, the Paramount War... Um, it's Paramount, we talk about it. <laughs> you knew I had to do a couple. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. <laughs> uh, they're welcome here. Um, but Pax, uh, uh, I imagine part of the reason that you don't like this as much is like uh, the the scale kind of becomes too huge here, and there's not until uh, Ace and really joins the fray. There's not really much else going on besides punchy fighty. Um, yeah, I mean, so it so the Summit War itself it feels very probably yeah until about when uh, Ace's start kind of joins the fray. It does it's it feels very all over the place because there's so many people and they're all fighting each other at the same time that it feels like it's flat. It's flying around all over the place and never really focus. Um, which is generally speaking how I feel about a lot of like post time skip one, um, which is where, where like, it's like, Oh, this is kind of like the climax of the part I like, right? Like before it, gets a little like more frustrating at times um even though there are still things i enjoy about one piece uh obviously but there is still a lot here that's really really good and it largely boils down to how fucking cool whitebeard is oh yeah 
because he's such a great character, and he's um, one of those characters that's been looming large over One Piece, really, since not not the beginning, but since pretty early on. Mm-hmm. I think he first shows up like right when they get to the Grand Line, right? Uh, is one of the first they like start hinting at his, his existence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like ten years, like building, to, and like ultimately, like the Summit War, everything that's happening in it is really symbolic. Because Whitebeard is, like, old and, frankly, already kind of dying um, and represents this old era of the pirate, of pirates. And there's, you know, he, he's, struggle, he's struggling, but he has this duty and he feels he has this duty towards anyone that's in his crew. They're all his, all his kids. They're all his children. And he feels he has to rescue them, um, especially with them, what, with what they're trying to do with Ace. Make him like this symbolic execution as the son of Gold Roger, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they have to kill. They have to ex- publicly execute. Um, and it's like, no, you like he wants to stop that because it's fucking awful. Uh, and he's such a great character, and so much of the story is focused on him. That shit is great. But like when the fighting starts, it feels a little hard to fix. Like the one thing that like the comparison you've been making to Dragon Ball Z is re- to Dragon Ball is really apt in a lot of ways. But the one thing Dragon Ball really does well, for the most part, um, it's a problem in Super. Uh, funny enough, uh, one like the last arc of Super has this problem, and it is what Dragon Ball tends to do really well is it largely focuses itself on one-on-one battle, and there is like a fight happening and that is the fight that is happening and you're following that through and sometimes that can make pacing weird but like that's easier that's much easier to follow and that's what a lot of early one piece does too where like there might be other things happening but you're following a fight between luffy and crocodile or luffy and Enno, or luffy and um uh oars or whatever right like that's like there's much more focus there but when it becomes really big and there's two dozen characters on each side and you have to have a spreadsheet for who's fighting who (laughs) or or a chart or something so you can keep track of it all over because it's also like this is a big fight happening over volumes of comics Mm -hmm. over over months of time so it gets a little harder to follow and then once it gets to the point where ace breaks out where ace is freed it kind of compresses like that's around the moment where it compresses itself and it gets much more focused it's it's luffy and ace it's whitebeard it's whitebeard's number two whose name is escaping me at the moment um if someone wants to remember it uh because i like that guy the phoenix power guy marco marco uh marco pineapple boy yeah, it's like it's Whitebeard, it's Marco, it's Luffy, it's um Then the Ace, three and the then, three admirals as well. Three admirals. Four admirals, I guess. Yeah. Right, the like Grand Admiral or whatever the hell his yeah, title the is. Fleet Admiral. So, yeah, Fleet Admiral, thank you. Booga. Um but he also barely does anything. Um, I mean he's he there. largely watches. <laughs> from what I remember. Uh and and it, it it gets a little more focused, it slows itself down at that point. Um and then the whole climax of it is actually it's legitimately great stuff uh, the way it resolves. But before we talk about the climax, I'll let other people talk about the rest of it. <laughs> so for me, I guess I'll go on record as saying I tend to be kind of a mark anyway. Uh, if I like something, I tend to just like it for the most part. Um, and I really like One Piece, including Post Time Skip. Um, even though my least favorite arc is Post Time Skip, um, I really like One Piece, and I think um, so. I, I still also really really like this and. 
I really, really enjoy Marineford, and I don't know uh, what the difference is necessarily. It could just be that Pat is just a bit more uh, a bit more discerning in his taste than me. I'm, I'm I guess I'm a little more buffet style. Uh, but I really like Marineford, and probably, in fact, I think I even made this joking comparison when I was doing my thread. But you know, I cut my teeth on a lot of like, say, Warhammer and Warhammer Forty Thousand, like novels and stuff as a kid, which are basically just novelizations of fight scenes. It's just like, okay, here's the planet, you know, McDemon Place, and four hundred million dudes showed up, and this kind of tank showed up, and this kind of giant robot showed up, and this guy pulled out a cool sword, and it's just, it's just nonstop fighting, you know, all day, every day. Uh, so for me, this is just like giant epic throwdown and i think what's what's great about it for me at least is that you have so many different powers on display right you've got Whitebeard cracking the world and you've got um aokiji throwing up waves of like ice walls and stuff and then the, the lava's breaking through with a kind of like, so all these powers that it's just it is from a pure spectacle standpoint it's really exciting to see like you don't necessarily even have to know you know, I mean, to be fair, we, we, even if you were to walk in at Marineford, like, and had never seen One Piece before, you'd pretty much know just as much as anyone else does about these characters, right? Most of them we've never met before, and all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, here's 75 of them with names and their fleets, and they're battling each other. So just from pure spectacle and pure scale, um, it's massive. And I think it, um, you don't have to have a, like, what's what's great about it, and particularly Oda's art, and the de- the depictions of the destruction uh, and and the the scale of the conflict is very clear to see and so from that sense I think it's really it's really critical and really important that because um, sometimes in a war story especially one where you're trying to tell a personal tale right ultimately it's about a little bit about Whitebeard and then it's also about Luffy trying to get his brother back and you know spoiler alert failing really bad um, that. It can you either at some point you many stories about battles and about wars usually end up I think failing to deliver on one or the other. They either fail to deliver on the personal stakes enough, like why should I care about these people or how are they impacting it, or they fail to deliver on the scale of the conflict. And I think Marineford manages to do both. I think it manages to be an impactful, in Ace's case, literally impactful story about these characters, but it also feels like this is the breaking of the world as we know it. And we don't even know that much about it yet as a world. Like, we're still figuring out the One Piece world at this point. But then all these people, all the legends show up, and the world is basically ending. Like, this is that apocalypse. Like, there, this is a time skip not just for convenience sake, but, like, all like Oda's cracking the world wide open, and it's going to take time for everything to sort of settle. Um, so in that sense, just the scale of it, it's really impressive and cool. And especially when it doesn't really move all that much. Like, it's pretty much just some boats in a parking lot. You know what I mean? Like, they're boats at a dock just sitting in front of a building. Like, it, it, it doesn't, like, jump around and, like, oh, here's the battle over here and here's the battle over there. Like, it's pretty much the same location the whole time. It's just so big and there's so many personalities. It can move around a lot. Um, and I guess the emotional heft of it, too. Uh, I've said this before, um, but with all the other Straw Hats... You know, Luffy meets them, and at some point, we discover their tragic backstory, right? Like, we discover the tragedy that put them in the place they're at now, and part of joining the Straw Hats and joining on with Luffy is, in a way, overcoming that trauma and finding this found family. Like, that's every one of them, in some way, is overcoming that past trauma. But for Marineford, we live out Luffy's flashback in real time. Like, this is his tragic flashback. But we are living it right now, and 
man, I'm going to get chills talking about it. Like, it really hurts. And, like, to me, I think it solidifies Ace as just like this, especially because a lot of people say, oh, nobody dies in One Piece, whatever. That was kind of a thing in the fandom. And, like, you really haven't seen, like, a lot of people die who are, like, really, really important. And, like, for Ace to die in this way when he means so much to Luffy and it almost feels like it's going to happen, right? Like, it almost feels like they're going to get away. Like, it really, really works. Um, and then I guess the other dimension is the Whitebeard angle. Like, we don't really know Whitebeard other than he's enormous, he's got a moon for a mustache, and he hangs out with a lot of, you know, hello nurse type characters all day. That's really all we know about him. And I think he, he and Shanks talked once and we saw a bit of hockey, but, like, we don't know anything about him. But in the... Just in the the the, the runtime of this battle, we basically learn everything about him, like starting with this sort of you know his backstory and like what he means to these people and the the the, the betrayal that happens to him hurts the audience as well. And he like he goes from like a important person to a living legend like in one kind of grand moment. Um, I personally have argued that Oda is drawing a pr- like to me anyway the depiction of Whitebeard. It, especially with his like sort of saber staff thing reminds me a lot of depictions of say like Guan Yu from Romance of the Three Kingdoms and and you know Chinese history so and who was you know this god of war type figure um, and I think Oda does a an incredible job of introducing this random guy basically we don't know anything about and creating a living legend like on the spot like it, it, I I feel like it's a masterstroke that he manages to do that. While he's running this whole other thing for all these other, like I just don't understand how he, how all of that comes together, and how it all works, and it impacts, it works so 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 well for me anyway. So I, I think it's kind of a masterstroke personally to make a battle hit on so many emotional levels like that and tell you about the world while it's just destroying that world at the same time. Yeah, I think the uh, the initial chaos of it is more than forgiven for me by the end of it, just because of the emotional payoff of it. Like, not just with, as you were saying, Whitebeard, and uh, I forget the dude's name, but like he was one of the high, higher-ranking dudes on Whitebeard's crew. He betrays him, he stabs Whitebeard in the back, and um, it's because of the Marines lied to him. He's like, why would you believe the Marines over your family? Um, right. But Whitebeard's like, oh, but I... Even though you're an idiot, I still love you. And, like, that's just such a great moment and such an emotionally satisfying moment. And for that to be immediately, basically immediately followed by uh, Akainu uh, punching right through Ace because magma is hotter than fire, uh, Mm. and that affects him. um, That's schoolyard logic. Uh, Magma's hotter than fire, but it totally (laughs) makes sense. Yeah. That's one of those, like, I. So, like, I'll get back to other stuff in a second, but, like,. That's one of those moments that I really, really like. It's like it's horrible, it's tragic, right? But like that being how Ace goes out and it being really sudden and just like there was no stopping it, right? Mm-hmm. Like all, all mm-hmm. the guy just punched him, literally. That's it. And it was enough to kill him because he couldn't face through him like he could other people, basically. Because yeah. he's hotter. Literally, like he's hotter than you, and that's it. You, there's no other, d- and it's really, really quick and really, really sudden. And it's like, well, it's done. This is it. It's over. Um, and I think that works a lot for again how chaotic it is early on. For like the way it stops to be these really sudden moments, it's someone turns and just stabs Whitebeard, and then a guy punches eight, and then it's over. Yeah. And then it's all falling action from that. Mm-hmm. It's it's Ace dying, and then it's Blackbeard showing up. Yeah. But 
like before that, like I I I, I understand like, like where you're coming from with like the chaos of it as like well it's it's supposed to be chaotic, right? It's supposed to be a war, all that kind of stuff. Like I think it works here. My issue is more that it feels like it is like a sign of what is to come with the way One Piece mm-hmm. does its battles. Um, where like it re- it works here because of how huge and important this battle is with these particular characters, and again, Whitebeard specifically being this like monolithic type character that's been looming large for a decade, basically. Um, and Ace being Luffy's brother and being someone that you really care about, and you can't imagine actually dying. Um, but you feel the uh, the danger of it even before he actually dies. And then, and then, like, but I feel like that becomes kind of the model for One Piece fight, like, fight sequences going forward, and that's where it gets frustrating. Um, here, though, like, it, it, it gets real, it's haphazard, um, which I'm still not a fan of, personally. I, you, but the, the, what it builds to is really, really great emotional stuff. Um, some of the most emotional shit that's ha- like happened in one, where it's like, oh, okay, so Ace dies, and then the way Whitebeard dies, and then the f- like, what happens after that moment is like horror, is like actual mm. horror story stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, so like Ace is dying, um, and does Ace? I'm trying to remember exactly how he dies. Like, does he turn into fire at the end? Or am I imagining? No, he. Uh, so I, I believe the or some of the last panels where Ace is dying, it's uh, he's punched and then he's kind of in Luffy's arms, uh, saying thank you for uh, loving me and being my brother and all of that stuff. And um, you just see him as you see all of the people with D in their name, which uh, we still don't know what that means, but whatever. Um, you see him laying on the ground smiling. And then you see uh, the Viva card that Luffy had been holding just burning out. Right, that's what I was, was the Viva card burning out. Uh, the payoff for that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then... I mean, you it, know it. You know as soon as I'm like, ah, as long as I'm alive, this is my life card. Like, you're yeah. like, oh no, this is going to hurt me later. And you see it coming and it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that he lay, lays the groundwork for so, so far in advance mm-hmm. is crazy, yeah. uh, actually. Um, that's Oda's. That's Oda's devil fruit power is his yeah. ability to do those sets up, setups. And I, I mean, I was thinking about this. I made a joke about this. This is a little unrelated, but like, I don't like the way he'll just be like, "Okay, I'm doing this. I'll let this simmer for like a decade, and then I'll have it have some payoff." Like it, the confidence and the patience it takes. I think just to be like, "No, I'm gonna let this sit for a while," is just incredible to me. I just don't know how he does it. I can't keep a secret for this. And he's like, yeah. no, I'm just going to let this run its course. Um, but then uh, the aftermath of Whitebeard's death, where Blackbeard shows up and basically eats him. Yeah, that's it's, it's very strange. But it's like a very foreboding uh, it, way. Uh, again, it's like a horror story. Thing. Yeah. He, like, he basically absorbs his powers from him, mm-hmm. like sucks him into his dark. Because he's like a dark man, right? Yeah. So he right. sucks sucks uh, uh, Whitebeard into his darkness, and then he absorbs his devil fruit powers. Which, like, one that's super uh, fucked up. Like, what mm-hmm. the hell yeah. are you doing? Kind of thing. And then two, it's like 
whoa, this guy now has two powers. This is also fucked up. What the hell is going right. on? And Again, this is the after. world we know, the world we know, the rules that we know are getting broken. Yeah. And Blackbeard really steps up and becomes this whole other level of threat. Like, ah, mm-hmm. like he was definitely weird and creepy when we met him. The whole, like, that's a really unnerving scene. But man, oh, when he gets double power, like, it's just... And it's so immediate. Like, we just met Whitebeard and care about him, and he's like, nope, now he's just, uh, he basically got eaten. Like, <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> and, um, th- like, it's also the moment that, like, solidifies that he's the actual, like, villain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, uh, you know, like, you kind of knew he was, right? Like, it was extremely obvious from pretty early on that he was being painted that way because he's literally Luffy's exact opposite and his crew is literally the exact opposite of Luffy's right. crew. Um, and it's like, oh, this is o- like this is obviously where this is going, right? But like, here's like, oh, here you go. He is actually that villain. Because mm-hmm. he's kind of likable up until that point, except, you know, the part where you find out he's the one that turned in Ace and stuff like that. Right. right. Yeah, but he's you not know the he's absolute shit. worst villain we've met, at least we don't think, up yeah. until that point, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, he is. He's, he's definitely kind of the worst. Fun villain up until this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we, the first time we see him, he's uh, jovially eating pie in the middle of the street, talking to Luffy like they're bugs. Exactly. One does, but yeah, it, it, that. So the, I guess the confirmation of Blackbeard as definitely the, you know, and of course in my opinion, the final villain. Like it will be Blackbeard, mm-hmm. um, and especially I guess because. You know, you think Blackbeard the pirate, at least when I think of Blackbeard in terms of depictions in media, usually, at least what I'm familiar with, and maybe I'm misremembering, but usually Blackbeard is already the most evil pirate ever when you meet him in whatever media you meet him in, right? Like, you don't have a lot of, like, Blackbeard origins. It's usually just, like, when someone says Blackbeard, like, oh, no, Blackbeard the pirate, the deadliest pirate ever. Like, he's already that figure. So in this story, he isn't. But at the same time, he still is, he ends up becoming it. But it's like you're almost a little not quite ready for it. It's kind of a, like a fake out for a second. Like, oh, he's just some guy, I guess. Maybe he's not going to be. Oh, no, he's literally Blackbeard the pirate. He's he's going to be the worst. Like, nope. <laughs> so it, I think that's also quite deft on Oda's part because yeah. usually it's like you know it's like the Red Baron, right? Like you see a red red fighter craft or whatever. You see, you know, they're already he's the enemy ace. Like you don't see origin stories for it. But for Blackbeard, we kind of get that in a way. Not 100%, but a little bit. He's not quite king of the hill when we meet him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think these, uh, uh, well, the the deaths of Ace and um, Whitebeard are especially impactful because we, we have seen a lot of death in One Piece, but uh, it has been uh, completely contained to backstories. So, uh, at least in the current timeline, the uh, presumptive, only presumptive death was Pell, who turned out not to die, and Bonclay, who turned out not to die. But now we see definitive proof that, like, Ace mm-hmm. and Whitebeard are gone. And, like, yep. that was them being, and I believe continuing to be the only deaths in uh, the current timeline of One Piece, like, from when we met Luffy to now, um, just makes this feel so much larger than uh, it already was. Mm-hmm. We've had a few others since then. Some minor characters. Um, oh, who's the tiger guy? I can't think of his name right. This. Um, he's like a. Uh, Lose him around uh, escaping from um, Whole Cake. Uh, yeah, Whole Cake Island. Um, the tiger guy. Oh, it's not Jaguar. Do you saw? I keep wanting to say Jaguar because it's a uh, Jaguar man. It's not um, Peckham's. Is it like Peckham's buggy or whatever? Oh, jeez, it's gonna come back to me. I'll I'll remember it at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> um, 
you know, he's like this commando mink who sacrifices himself quite heroically um, to allow them to escape at uh, Whole Cake Island. So that that's another death. But it, this is it's still incredibly rare, especially for you know important characters like that to to go. It's still they're still some of the most impactful deaths. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like un- without a doubt. Uh, I think like. Going back to the Blackbeard stuff, uh, them building Blackbeard as like this major major villain, uh, I think is especially evident because like after or in the fallout of this, you see um, uh, or after the time skip, you you find out that uh, what's his name, the ice guy, Aokiji. Aokiji, yeah, he has resigned from uh, the Marines. Uh, Akainu has become the new fleet admiral and the former the admiral i forget his name too but the booga guy he's also resigning so like sengoku Buddha. sengoku yeah okay someone remembers names thank god um i can't remember the main commando though it's gonna bug me oh, <laughs> i'm trying to say jaguar well, it's not jaguar uh yeah but th- those two who were uh we we still don't know if alkiji and is stronger than luffy but like by all in- indications when you first saw him when he froze luffy and froze robin he was uh, much much stronger than luffy he and, was back but luffy's gone super saiyan since then uh yeah exactly so we like we don't know how how much stronger that he is than luffy if at all um, and same same goes for Sengoku, who never had a one-on-one fight. But like those two, at least story-wise, were the ones that were set up in the Marines to be stronger. And now they are not in the Marines anymore. That's another important point, though. We also get to see the admirals engage, uh, and we've really only we got a little bit of it at uh, Thriller Bark, yeah, when um, uh, Lightfast Adam Sandler, uh, what's his <laughs> name? Um, <laughs> Oh, I can't think of his name right now either, but uh, we saw a little uh, bit... Kizaru. Kizaru, thank you. We saw a little bit of him in action before, but we get to see, like, the Admiralty. And, of course, they're also in their, like, when the the three Admirals, like, sitting on their chairs. It's just, you know, we know Oda's a great artist. We know he can frame stuff really well, yada, yada. But, like, man, that's, like, legendary pose with them all sitting there and their big boss, you know, anytime they're characters are wearing coats but don't have their hands through the sleeves you know it, it just it looks incredible and like the, them sitting up there is so iconic and then they all get to engage and con- like it's really really big deal like we're getting to see all these things that we have only had hinted at like but just all at once it's all happening it's you know 12 days of christmas right now mm-hmm. in terms of seeing things happen so it just feels like such a big deal i guess i will also add um Ace's whole like this got me bad with Robin too, um, in, in terms of the emotional hang-up they have and what caused you know because Ace could have gotten away but he turned back right that's the problem um, and the reason why he all of his emotional stuff being a lack of self-worth and the whole thing thank you for loving me like that whole bit really got me bad any you know robin was the same way not valuing her own life you know not finding any value in it and yet her relationship with luffy and the straw hats helps her find the desire to live and to want to to you know find value in your own life and not just see yourself as a function for others and stuff that kind of stuff gets me bad and ace that whole thank you for loving me thing is like boys (laughs) yeah a lot of tears folks like it was not yeah. it was not pretty in the house that night so oh, oh you know what we didn't talk about in this um how like because this is where it's revealed that uh ace's mom held him in her body like when she was pregnant <laughs> oh, yeah. for 
how fucking long was it? Yeah. It's like it's like a year and a half yeah. or something yeah. insane, right? Well, I thought it was like a year and a half past the Gate or something. Okay, it's some it's some bonkers ass thing. That's it's like the thing no. that one should not do. One that yeah. I do not recommend, like medically speaking. <laughs> Oh, God. I'm not a that's doctor. That's probably the worst thing in Zark, actually, is that stupid thing. But yeah, that's really weird. Again, that's Oda, man. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's why just is, weird. Why did we do that? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, I complete, that just popped into my head. I completely forgot about that. It's like, oh, God. Because his backstory is tragic. Because it's like, because it was literally, um, the Marines were hunting for anyone that could have been related to... Uh, uh, Gold Roger, mm-hmm. and like, well, the way we, pr- the way they protected the child was, or the way she protected him, but was by keeping him staying pregnant. I don't remember why that worked, but yeah, because like it was beyond the time at which uh, Gold Roger would be alive to uh, impregnate. Yeah, impregnate. That makes sense. Yeah. Ah, God, that's stupid. Um, yeah, it was very but- stupid. <laughs> what are we going to do here? We're going to do like a reed basket in the river thing or, Oh no, you're just going to keep him in there. Okay. You know, that's fine. You know, that's different. <laughs> you know, whatever works. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And then like that kind of thing, um, creates this deep seated hatred, uh, of, uh, of Ace toward Roger. And, um, it, it just becomes more tragic because Ace sees Whitebeard as, uh, a real father, not, not even like a father figure because of uh, all of the language that Whitebeard uses for his crew, um, who he he told Roger back in the day that he just wants to start a family, and his family is this giant crew, and Ace wanting to find his own father. Uh, that's not Roger. He finds Whitebeard, and and then they both die. Thanks, Oga. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Still reeling from it. <laughs> and like, so I guess this is where we can go. Like, this is symbolically quite literally the end of the first half of one piece it's mm-hmm. every every like and in a lot of ways you already mentioned some of the the, the fleet admiral steps, steps down kind of uh with like someone younger coming up and taking his place the um kind of the the old guard pirate the last of the pirates from gold mm-hmm. roger's age right mm-hmm. like he mm-hmm. is he was roger's rival Whitebeard falls and now it's like who who is filling in that um the the straw hats it's literally like here is the dividing line from uh the old world and the new world it is like literally when they come back it's time to go to the new world literally um the uh the the warlords of the sea the seven the seven lords or whatever the heck they're called um are their ranks are refilled because at this point, half of them have been are like either out, left, or killed, um, or a robot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, though I guess the robot's still in technically. Yeah, the robot's um, still in there. Uh, what's his face from Thriller Bark? He was fighting in the Paramount War, but he was eventually killed at the end by Don Flamingo for not like being cool enough or whatever. For sucking, yeah. Yeah. Bro, you're not cool. Uh, <laughs> um, like. With Whitebeard gone, if let me let me see if I can remember this correctly. Whitebeard dies, and so there's a space like because there's the four um, pirate lords. Or all. I don't remember. There's like so there's the seven pirates that work with the uh, marines. The seven warlords. Yeah, there's the seven warlords, and then the and then, 
And then there's the Yonko, the four emperors. Four emperors, thank you, that's the word. Emperors versus warlords. So stupid. It's like, it's too close, (laughs) so it's easy to get to lose track of. Um, And then Blackbeard ends up on both sides and betrays both of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, it's like a complete status quo shift in every way. It's literally, like, it is the end of part one of One Piece, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like, here is... The the climb here is a climax, and when we come back, new status quo, tons of changes, all this stuff has happened, and it's kind of like one thing that post time skip One Piece does well is it gives you a couple bits of information, um, like right when you get back, it gives you little bits of information to give you a bit of an idea of where you are and and to like make it clear that two years have passed, but then from that point, it slowly like doles out more and more breadcrumbs of how things have changed in the marines and in the seven uh warlords and in the emperors like here's how things have changed for all these different groups here's how um all of the uh uh what were what was the whole group of uh uh pirates that just showed up at um sabati before all of this went down what was what were they called all the all the young pirates oh the worst generation oh yeah Yeah. like like here's what's happening to those people like even though those are characters he clearly had zero plans for. Because uh, like, like, they do start to like show up little bits and pieces other than Law. Like He very clearly had plans for Law. He didn't have, right. like, very clearly didn't have any of the other ones until he had to. Yeah, it's interesting what he's done with some and, and the others we still haven't really seen 10-ish, 13-ish, however long it's been yeah. now. Yeah, yeah it's some of them seem to have like teamed up or whatever but yeah like law is very clearly the important one and as the other ones trickle in like in the in these post time skips we've had uh capone beje or whatever however you say that you've had him a little bit and then uh very recently you've had uh whatever the other guy is the metal magnet guy oh you oh yeah 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 yeah. um yeah it's it's all you know i mean if if, man pat i know you say you, you don't like as much past the time skip but i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna stop reading this is definitely a place to do it in a sense because like man this is great stuff this is nothing there's nothing wrong with this i know a lot of people stopped reading uh in fandom because this was so heavy um like a lot of people were just like needing to take a break after all this uh which i think speaks to the impact of of everything that happened um, you know, anybody who was complaining about not enough people die in one piece, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> it will emotionally hurt you quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it also starts, which again, I, I, I do agree that, um, there are some, it's, it's always tough not seeing the crew together. Um, but after, you know, having just come off of the crew being separated, we move, that starts to become the norm, you know, go, going forward from here. The crew being apart and crew doing lots of different stuff, not always being together, you know, being in all these different places, starts to become much more of a regular occurrence from here on out. So, just kind of a shame, but it is what it is. Yeah, they just yeah have more adventures together. But uh. I mean, I, I I do personally really still enjoy you know the things that come after this, but this is definitely a this is there's a delineating line here, like the world that was quite literally is gone. But in a lot of ways, any illusions that Luffy or the audience have, I think, about what this will be and how, what it will cost are changed. It will not... There's simply no way Luffy becomes king of the pirates and it stays a lighthearted, silly story. Like, in order to do what he wants to do, which is to become king, there is an inherent 
he has to dismantle the world that as it is and there's there's a cost to that and there's a heaviness to that that just can't be avoided you you have to take it head on and mm-hmm. he can't protect all the people that he wants to protect in doing that um at the same time so i, th- I think that's you know the, the story has to in order for Oda to deliver on what he's set up this world to be and the level of seriousness that it is, like I, I think it has to move that way. And I, I also don't necessarily disagree with anybody who's like, ah, because it changes, I don't like the changes. Like, I, But it, the story, I think, has to change in order to meet the scale of what Luffy intends to do, personally. Yeah. I think, in who knows? I mean, I, I, I assume we'll talk about stuff past this point someday. Mm-hmm. It'll take us a year to plan it, obviously. <laughs> but, um, like, and we can talk about some of like how I feel about later stuff uh, when we do that, and then that'll also give me a, an excuse to catch up because I'm at this point years behind on One Piece. Actually. What's the last thing that you read? If I, if I oh, um, um, Dressrosa. I hated Dressrosa. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, so I don't want to like I don't I, I don't want to talk about Dressrosa when we're not talking about Dressrosa. But I will say that is definitely my least favorite One Piece arc, and like I feel like every other arc. For me personally, and again, I, I'm a known liker of things, but I feel like for every other arc, you know, you could do the old style thing where you just hand it to somebody. Because, I mean, how many shows did we start, you know, as, as growing up as young fans, catching things partway through, having no clue what's going on, but just being like, I'm engrossed, I have to know what's going on, I have to keep watching, right? Like, I feel like for almost every other arc of One Piece, the strengths are so strong, you could just be like, you know what, if somebody were to just come upon this, they would feel compelled to finish it, I think. But with Dressrosa, that's even as someone who doesn't like, I don't hate it. But there's definitely like a, I wouldn't hand this to just anybody. Like you have to know everything that's going on, and even yeah. still, you're probably like, I don't know really. Dra- Dressrosa is where it gets ass deep in its own lore, and like it's back only for and, true believers. And it's like <laughs> it's just too much. Whereas like like I I also don't like of the post time skip One Piece stuff. The part I liked the um, most of what I read was um, Punk Hazard. Punk Hazard's a lot of fun. Punk because ha- Punk Hazard feels like old one. Um, <laughs> I didn't care for the the Fishman Island stuff very much either, but like that's like academically I understand what it's going in. I, I think it fails at a lot of what it was going for, but I understand where it's going for. Whereas Dressrosa is like, oh, this is where One Piece is too far, too up its own ass a little bit for me. Um, and frankly, and I'll be honest, like when I have expressed that to people, and like if we do these and we keep doing these, I will keep reading because I enjoy having these conversations and I think it's like, worth doing. But um, like when I tell friends, yeah, I fell off here because of these reasons, they're like, no, no, I mean, like. No, no one like was wholeheartedly encouraging me to go back and pick up um, uh, Whole Cake Island. You know what I mean? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 like I don't think I had anyone like go. Oh yeah, this is gonna solve your problems. I've heard semi-positive things about what it's doing now that sound like they might work better for me. Um, but like, like we can get into that stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah, we can get that. Later. I feel like dress. I will say this. I feel like Dressrosa is the lowest ebb of the story, in terms of basically everything that makes One Piece great. Like the length is the strength, in my opinion. And in Dressrosa, the length, complexity, the number of characters are basically all weaknesses. It's too much. And I think, from what I understand, now this is just anecdotal. I don't actually know, but a lot of people told me that Oda was having health issues during this time. And like knowing that, I'm like, ah, okay, that that makes a lot more sense because this is clearly a it's a tale that struggles a bit under its own weight. 
Um, but I feel like a lot of the other post-time-skip arcs, and I agree with you, Fishman Island definitely doesn't uh, land a bullseye, um, but that's always going to be a case with exactly the kind of story you're, he's trying to tell there, which he probably shouldn't have tried to tell to begin with, but it is what it is. Um, but I feel like a lot of the other arcs, um, like Whole Cake is, well, I guys we can talk about it another time. I, I feel like a lot of the other post-time are actually really strong, and Dressrosa is definitely the weakest and if if you stopped at Dressrosa, I can now I understand why you say I don't like at post time skip at all. <laughs> that makes so much. I was like, hey, any of that other stuff? I'm like, oh, okay, no, that makes sense. If you stopped at Dressrosa, I I get why you feel that way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, I'll, I'll leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. Well, I still got that jump app, so yeah. All you, do, all you guys got to do is say it's time, and I would like to record again before 2021. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. That's a good plan. I like being on. Yeah, I like talking. I like talking with you guys about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, Dressrosa is the Del Flamingo stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's an, another issue is, with these oh, post-time skip things for me is that like I don't remember the delineation between these arcs, and often I don't remember a lot of the uh, meats of the arcs either. Like I remember um, his face, the Shiroro guy that uh, is all smoky. I remember he exists, but I don't really remember like anything about how he got there, sort of. What I'm saying is that like, I've visited this pre-time skip stuff a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I've read, like, through all of, like, pre-time skip once probably, like, a half dozen times. Yeah. Um, like, it's incredible. Least. It's, it's uh, really just amazing. Except sorry, but, um, <laughs> like, uh, I, I didn't, I, I skipped them, but, like, like, I legitimately think it's some of the best like jump style like like event like shonen adventure comics ever made. Mm-hmm. I legitimately do believe that. Oh, you're right. Um, I don't I don't like, disagree at all. It's incredible. It does start to feel like it's almost like collapsing over its own weight because of how big it is. Mm-hmm. Again, you stop in yeah. Dressrosa. Yeah, and I stop see why that is your overall thing because like Oda really again it, that is where it became just almost pure weakness. Like it's like where I you do need like graphs and charts like wait where is everybody again wait it's been 30 chapters in this fight three <laughs> panels of it like the frankie senior pink thing is like oh my god this fight is still happening i just forgot like it's that kind of stuff like i was reading two chapters a day so 10 chapters a week and i was struggling to remember what all was happening at certain points <laughs> it's like i should not be struggling that hard with something i'm reading at a both relatively quick pace like enough that i'm reading it every day but also like i'm not like binging 100 chapters in a day like it's not a blur like i'm taking my time to try to understand it and uh what's happening here <laughs> yeah i think that's a struggle for me with a lot of the post time skip stuff too because I, I was reading next uh either week to week or month to month or a couple months in between and um there's not enough continuity uh or as as strong continuity i guess i don't know i don't remember as well is what i'm saying <laughs> It, this the, as you keep going, it does. I think the host time skip stuff gets a lot better. And I, but I think the world, both by design, the pre time skip stuff is a more uh, easy to understand hook and setup and world. Yeah. And like the world that he's breaking in, it's very big and complicated. And the world that he's breaking in Marineford, he then goes and rebuilds a whole new one, which takes a lot of time and effort. Um, and it's just by design not as easily digestible like at all because it's just a bigger story now with way more characters and he there is I don't know what compulsion Oda has uh, to do this but it's like he's like new arc 30 new people and you're like oh my god <laughs> please 
like, like he just keeps making new characters and some of them are like still finds a way to come up with these new interesting characters that i love but you are just kind of like ah there's so many of them now <laughs> there are so many I, I i do recall seeing a thing where um i'm sure you guys are familiar with the mr beam uh, mr beam like peeking at someone else who's writing a meme or whatever mm, yeah like there's there was a bit that oda mentioned he sometimes has to check the wiki on stuff and it was like <laughs> someone had edited that meme so that it was like oda was writing mr bean was the wiki the, looking at oda and then they had edited in another mr bean looking at that mr bean and that was oda again like looking at the wiki <laughs> it kind of, it's literally just this huge orboros thing where no one can track one piece and i think it has like four editors or something oh, like like i mean which of course it's it's shonen jumps flagship thing like i get it you want to have people working on it but like that's what it takes it takes a team just to just to kind of figure all this stuff out because there's so much of it there's so much yeah i, I always wondered kind of wondered like how Oga kept track of all these characters i'm sure he has some notes um with like with von clay in the uh, paramount war thing like when he quote-unquote killed him off in alabasta i'm sure he was like oh, i'm gonna bring this guy back in this thing that i'm thinking about but don't really have some concrete ideas about yet mm-hmm. um but then, like when he in he's when he's in arcs, like how does he remember character designs before all these people in between uh, the f- sometimes ten or fifteen chapters in which they don't appear? It's just incredible. I don't know. And I will say this to try to encourage a little bit more too. Like I know Pat, you said you like Punk Hazard a lot. Like right now, like literally, like as of last, week, I don't want to say like it's the first time it showed up. Like some of the things that show up in Punk Hazard, like we're getting payoff for now, and it feels so good. Like, some of that stuff is kind of, I don't want to say finally coming to pass, because we've been building to it for, I mean, God, like two years now at this point. But, like, to still see that, that, that I guess, continuity on Oda's part, like, a thing that I did back then, it's still going to matter, you know, years down the line. And that the emotional payoff on it is strong. It's really strong. It, 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 I don't know if it's any lobby strong, but it's strong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we went on a funny big, big of a tangent there, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Does anyone have any final thoughts on uh, pre time skip One Piece? It's pretty. It's pretty good comics. You can read all of it for two dollars on it. It's pretty good. It's a yeah. lot of good comics. Yeah. I, you know, Annie's Lobby. I think personally, for me, was was definitely still the high. It's still my favorite arc. Yeah. Um, but I know I had the the mindset. Per, you know, pretty much as I as I was full time. But particularly when I was reading Marineford, I was like, I cannot believe. I didn't read this for so long. Like, I can't believe that I denied myself the joy of reading this because it was so long. And for years I stayed away and I'm just like, that was a, that was a bad idea because it's really, really good. Like, look at this. This is incredible. Like, you know, it's just, and it's something that you, for all the various reasons that are, there are problems with, you know, us Cape comics and stuff. Like imagine a us comic having the same creative team, having the same vision, just for the length it would take to do something like Marineford in a U.S. comic. Yeah. The yeah. weeks and weeks and years and years. There is, and I've, I've said this a lot before, too, that because of its publication and because of the, 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 the length of it and the continuity of it, One Piece is something that is, even if you don't necessarily like how it is, how it has developed, it's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime type event. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of works like this ever, and we're watching it kind of unfold in real time, and that's something really special, because, like, you... I mean, t- t- I mean, t- I would love to see an American comic just go from the same creative team, artists, writers, all that, just stick with it for as long as it took for, you know, 
Oda and his crew to, to land Marineford. I mean, like, the entirety of, like, the Summit War from, like, when they get, from when they arrive at Sabaudi through everything else was two years. Jeez. Uh, in two comics. years, in two years, you reboot a U.S. comic. Yeah. <laughs> like imagine, imagine a, a comic going into the you know the thirties. Like whoa, they really liked them a lot. Like, and that's kind of what a joke of the you know the publishing landscape is like here. Like two years just for for Marineford. Like wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. If that's my takeaway, like yeah, you like- you won't find a similar experience. You know, forget writing quality. Forget character designs and all that just the length of the narrative is very unique compared and, and you uh I, this is a very imperfect example but even something like the marvel cinematic universe which was a uh 12 year movie timeline and 23 movies like <laughs> that seems like it's maybe a close parallel but even then the the highest MCU stuff is nowhere near the highest uh, one piece oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, is. not even close. Yeah, and those are across multiple creative teams, mm-hmm. and not even like consistently published. I mean, we're talking week to week to week to week to week. Yeah. I mean, essentially three week three weeks a month. You know, for doing that entire time frame, just incredible. I yeah. mean, I guess there are ups to the uh, the crushing workload of Japanese <laughs> comics. <laughs> I mean, I, I truly do worry for Otis' health, and I'm glad he's taking more breaks. But I mean, this is. This is a magnum opus for this man in a lot of ways, and he has quite literally given his life to make it. <laughs> imagine doing anything for 23 years. I don't care what it is. Just imagine doing anything for 23 <laughs> years. Like, wow. I, you know, I, whew, that is a lot of time to spend on anything. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I feel like this is uh, incredibly, incredibly good comics. Um Really, uh, like like Pat has said, in, in a lot of ways, peak form. Maybe it, whether it's a little before, a little after. You know, pre time skip one piece. I think is kind of bulletproof, honestly. And the, this capstone event is just whew, it's powerful. It's good stuff. Yeah, whenever I want a good uh, a good cry, I can just look up <laughs> Ace on the One Piece wiki or something. Yeah. Thank you for letting me that ace gift, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can find some very sad AMVs still. Oh, yeah. It's old enough that there's probably AMVs. <laughs> Where's the one for the boat? Oh, Mary. Okay. Uh, there's definitely one. Uh, when, when Mary apologizes... <laughs> oh, oh uh, that's too much. Like, oh, you can't do this to me. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Um... All right, so yeah. let's uh, let's close this episode, Alex. Where can we find everybody on the internet? Back. Uh, generally, like these days, if you wanna find me, I am. You can find me on AnnieGamers.com, Actually, I'm the uh, editor of the Anim Gamers podcast and occasional co-host. I've been on a couple times recently. If you want to hear me talk about other manga and then how I've played too much Final Fantasy XIV while I've been in quarantine, uh, go look that up because there's plenty of that on there. Uh, and then my own podcast is The Cockpit, which is at thecockpit.net. Hasn't been updated in a very long time, but it might be updated soon. Yeah. Talk about that Netflix Transformers. Oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. Oh, well, you can have me on and watch that. It. I mean, you, I don't know if you want me on for that, but uh, I, mean, I just watched it. Uh, did you like it? Uh, <laughs> I, I it. Have you seen? It? No, I haven't seen it yet. Because um, well, I guess let me let me let me put it this way: as a, it is a G1 reboot called War for Cybertron. That it basically is like already that should tell you everything to know. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad, 
but it is a lot of like war. War never changes. Yeah. War. You know, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of gravelly voice. There, there's some issues. It's not bad though. I think my favorite part is well, there's a really great visual gag with Ultra Magnus that I don't think is intended to be a gag, but it's very funny to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Well, it probably didn't need to be six episodes. It's fine. <laughs> Grant, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me at, at Grant the Thief on Twitter. That's where I'm always posting just the worst content. Um, you can find me writing. I write for Yadatachi. I do some editorials and stuff there. Uh, I also am now the One Piece anime review guy over at A&N. Uh, so that's kind of a big feather in my cap uh, here lately. I also review some other stuff on there like Monster Girl Doctor, but we all have to take our hits for the team. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the grenade fell in the trenches and I, I, took, I dove on it for everyone else's sake. Um, but uh, I, uh, let's see what else. I am a podcaster occasionally. Uh, I am a co-host on the Blade Licking Thieves where me and some buddies review movies on the couch together. Well, not as much these days in, in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, and then also on the co-host on the Super Senpai podcast where a totally different Pat and I talk about tokusatsu, like we're watching Ultraman Mabius right now, having a lot of fun with that. Um, yeah, those are the places you can find me. All right. You can find me on Twitter, at Compassionate K, and you can find this podcast on Twitter, at Manga In Your Ears, and you can find all of our episodes over at TaikuPodcast.com. That is T-A-I-I-K-U, where uh, I also do a sports anime podcast. They're, they're related. Uh, I don't want to make a website, but uh, I can even make this first website. <laughs> But uh, thank you both for coming on and talking about One Piece. Hopefully we can do this again in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. <laughs> Could you tell everyone else what I'm about to say when I'm done? Pops. My family. And you, Luffy. Thank you for caring about someone like me, who's good for nothing. This world never wanted, who has such bad blood in his veins. Thank you. That's not for me to 
say. You just keep living and hope you find out.